Uh, you know, I just have a few announcements before I uh, get to my message today, and that's this. Number one, thank you guys so much for donating your blankets and your sleeping bags to Jesus Cares. They were so happy. You know, I don't know if you saw Vicky's post or any any posts, um, but there were there were photos. There were so many given. Thank you guys so much. I think it makes such a huge difference to people, and that's the bottom line. You know, we're making a difference in people's lives, and I'm just so proud to be part of a church that's so generous and that's willing to do that. So let's keep on doing that together. Secondly, obviously we're having these uh, services here on Sunday. Please come out. We'd love to have you. I think, you know, the more people that come, it just feels better. I know we're kind of sitting apart and the social distancing thing here is a little bit weird. Having masks on is a little bit weird. It gets a little stuffy, but there's something special about worshiping together and being with people who just love God. So, you know, I know it opens up in the 1st of July. It'll open up to no limit as long as you honor the four square meter rule. This, this particular room can fit up to, I think it's 148 people or something like that. So we can get 148 people in here. We can get everyone in here. And so please come. Please come out. Uh, and we'd love to worship together with you. Whether you're part of FLM or not, or if you maybe you've been watching on live stream and you just want to check out a church, come by. We'd love to have you. And with that said, I think we need a welcoming committee. You know, number one, I don't know who's new because <laughs> I'm new. And maybe some of you have never met me. I've never met you. Let's get to know each other. But if you'd like to be part of a welcoming ministry, I think we, we had newcomers even in the past two weeks. Did you guys know that? Yes. And so um, I'd love for every single person in our church and for every visitor to come to be welcomed. If you'd like to be a part of the welcoming ministry, Please come and talk to me after service, and I'll definitely get your, your details, and we'll get something going, because I want every person. I just believe, I, and I rarely say this. If you guys get to know me, you know, I don't really say stuff like this very often, but, you know, I just really believe that God did something significant through the live streams. Even, well, you know, what was meant for such evil or, you know, what, the evil that we saw that ha that's happening in the world through coronavirus, I think God used it powerfully to get people who never thought about Jesus to come online and start worshiping. And I just think that they're going to start searching for a church. And, you know, hopefully they'll find ours. And if they do, I want them to be welcomed. I want them to encounter people that just love Jesus. But sometimes churches can be really unfriendly. It's not that we're unfriendly. It's just that they never get talked to sometimes. And it happens. And I don't want that to happen. And so if you'd like to be a part of that change, I don't know if you guys are like that or not, but um, please come and talk to me. Let's be, let's be part. Let's make the Grace Welcoming Ministry that we can, okay, together. All right, uh, that's it. Let's get to our word of God today. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. The word of God reads, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But fulfill to the Lord your vows or the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to simply say, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the ways that you have been speaking to us. And Father, we pray today that your word will capture our hearts and our minds once again. 
so that we might truly live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through a series on Christ's righteousness. And for those who have Christ's righteousness in their lives, we've been saying that, you know, they, they go on to live lives of radical, radical reconciliation, radical purity, and radical marriages. And quite honestly, some of you guys have been SMSing me, Facebook messaging me, all that kind of stuff. And the feedback has been very positive so far. Especially, you guys uh, have been telling me that you especially like the, the helpful suggestions or the practical suggestions at the end of every of those messages. Am I correct? Okay, there's a lot of nodding heads. Good. You know, and I'm very thankful for that because, you know, hopefully those suggestions help you live out the commands of God, which is awesome. And I love that. Um, but it also caused me to think about one thing that I wanted to share with you this, this afternoon, and I think it's really important. And before we even get to the message, I really want to say this very, very clearly, if I haven't already. Um, you know, we've been saying these past few weeks that those who have Christ's righteousness within their lives, they, they rad reconcile radically, they live radically pure lives, and they live radical marriage for Christ. Now, this is what I want to say, and it's going to go on for the next ones too, the next few that I'm going to talk about. This is what I want to say clearly, if I haven't said it clearly in the past. I kind of hinted at it, but I didn't really say it. None of us can live out any of these perfectly, okay? No one can be 100% not angry. Just even on the car ride over here, I was reminded by something that happened like 20 years ago, and I got angry over it again. You know what I'm saying? It happens. No one can live their lives 100% sexually pure. You're always going to struggle with that till the day that you die. You know, none of us, either whether you're single or whether you're married, none of us are going to live a 100% faithful marriage. Sorry, but you're not. None of us will, okay? And, you know, the thing is, I think sometimes when, when you hear messages like the ones that I'm preaching in the past few weeks and today and, and, and so on and, you know, in forward, going forward, sometimes we think that, oh, man, if I have Christ's righteousness, these sins will magically stop within my life, and we put that burden upon ourselves. Or, you know, if I have Christ's righteousness within my life, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to get this mystical power that's going to allow me to just stop, and those things will fade, and I'm going to become magically better in those areas. But it's just not true. You know, I'll explain what happens in a, in a few seconds. But 100%, being 100% pure, 100%, you know, radical marriages, 100%, you know, reconciliation and not ang no anger within our lives, that's Christ's standard. That's what he wants from us. And that's what we strive to obey for. But please don't misunderstand the teachings. None of us can fulfill these, right? And so knowing that, the reason why I give practical suggestions at the end of my message is never so that you can feel like you're living a better, more, a, a morally better life. You know, I don't give you these practical suggestions for you to live out and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I am more honest than I was yesterday. It might be true, but over the course of our whole lives and knowing our nature, we're still not honest. You know, yes, maybe you overcame one sexual temptation, but in the course of that whole day, you know, we're still pretty morally evil. And so these practical suggestions are not, to, are not given to you so that you can feel better about yourself or so that you can feel moral, that you're morally better in any single way because we are evil. But what have we said, you know, ever since the beginning, what have I always said? You know, the reason why God gave us the law, and the reason why Christ teaches us here today is very simple. What happens when you try to put Christ's teachings, when you practice his teachings into your life? 
What happens when people try to obey the Old Testament law? What happens? You fail. And that was the whole point. You start to realize how sinful you really are. And you recognize continually how wicked your heart truly is. I am sexually immoral. You know, I am always unfaithful in my marriage. And oh my God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And what that is supposed to do is that is supposed to drive us to realize truly over and over again that the only answer and the only solution for our continually sinful hearts is Jesus Christ. You know, the whole point of the law and the whole point of even Christ's teachings is so that we could realize our true wickedness and just be driven back to Christ. And when we do, he truly becomes our hope and he truly becomes our Savior. So obedience to his teachings leads us to dependence and worship. And that was the whole point of the Old Testament law, and that is the whole point of Christ's teachings. Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand this? Yes? Yes? Are you guys offended? Are you guys disappointed? But this is what it is. You know, we're never going to live perfect lives. And here's the good news. Nor were we ever expected to. We were never meant to live perfect lives, nor were we ever expected to by God. I know sometimes we think when we go to church, God expects us to live a perfectly holy life, right? Isn't there a verse that says that, Eddie Bang? Well, there is a verse that says that, but the context is totally different. The good news about this is that God never expected us to live perfectly. You know, if God expected us to live a perfect life, just think of, just, just travel with me for a second. If God expected us to live a perfect life, you know what would happen Our lives would continually be consumed with what? Ourselves and our performance, right? Oh, man, am I doing this? Am I doing it well? Am I doing it perfectly? That's all we would ever be concerned about. But the thing is, God saved us out of that so that we wouldn't have to think of ourselves. And if we continually live in his grace and understand our wickedness and his forgiveness that he continually extends to us, then our hearts and our emotions and our minds can continually be focused upon Christ himself. Instead of focusing on us and our performance, we can focus on him and his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his partnership so that he can do great things through us. Our hearts and our minds can be focused upon him and him alone. And this is why he saved us. Do you understand this? Is this, making, is this clear? So just in case some of us thought, oh, man, if I, if I live these out, I'm going to become morally better. I'm going to become like more holy. There's no such thing as a holy person. You know? There isn't. Only God's holy. But hopefully, and so the reason why we decide to, the reason why I give you practical suggestions and the reason why we strive for obedience is very simple. Because now that we know grace, now that we know Jesus, we know what pleases him. And when we obey his commands, not only do we please him, but we make him greater in this world through us. And that's what actually make us, makes us more like Jesus. And this is why Obedience is so important within our lives. Do you guys get that? Yes? Cool? Yes? Hopefully you do. And so that's the fruit of the righteousness that, you know, we we have. If we have Christ's righteousness within our lives, that's the fruit that he wants us to bear. And that's why I give you practical suggestions, and that is why we always need to strive for obedience. Is that cool? Yes? Do we understand that? It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Okay. That's why in every one of these teachings, the real issue, if you think about it, and if you, you know, re- rewind in your mind, 
The real issue behind every single one of these teachings is our hearts, isn't it? You know? The reason why we're not pure, the reason why we're not faithful, the reason why we're angry all the time and we refuse to reconcile our relationships is because our hearts are evil. These are the products of an evil and sinful heart, a heart that desperately needs Christ. And today's teaching goes on, and it is no different. Today we're going to talk about what comes out of our mouths, okay? And how those who have Christ's righteousness live, you know, for those people who have Christ's righteousness within their lives, they speak radical truth, okay? That's the point for our us today. Radical righteousness calls us to speak radical truth. And there are two points that I want to make today that will help us do this. And the first is this. Number one, stop lying. Okay? Stop lying. That's simple. Verses 33 to 36 says, again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Now, in order to stand to understand what this passage is all about, we need to understand three things. We need to understand exactly what oaths what God meant when he allowed people to make oaths in the Old Testament. We need to understand how those intentions by God got demented over the years until Christ came into the earth. And then thirdly, we need to recognize what Christ is saying in this passage, as he says those you know, three or four verses. Okay? But even before I get into all this, I want you to think about something you know, with me for a second. Um, here's the question I want to ask you, and I don't know if you've ever asked this question to yourself, but why do we have oaths in our culture? Why do we even have promises or vows? Did you ever think about that? Why do we even have those? And you know what the answer is? The answer is because humans are liars. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but our society is built upon people who just lie all the time. And the thing is, you may have never noticed it, but we're okay with that. We just accept that as our reality. And we're actually okay with it, okay? Here's an example. Let's say you were to go fishing. Let's say we were to go fishing together after church one day. And let's say all of a sudden you got lucky and you caught a 0.9 kilogram fish that took you two minutes to reel in, right? Very realistic. I bet if you tell that story three months later, it's no longer 0.9 kilos, is it? Because you can't be bothered to say 0.9 kilos. All of a sudden it became what? A one kilo fish. That took you two minutes? No, it took you five minutes because it was bigger and heavier and you struggled a little bit more, didn't you? But the thing is, we don't care. What's the big deal? 0.91 kilo, two minutes, five minutes. Nobody cares. You don't even care. We just accept that that may or may not be true. And nobody cares. Do you understand that? We're liars. We're embellishers. We make up stuff and nobody really cares, especially if, it doesn't, if it's not going to affect anything. And everybody's okay with that. You know, human beings, this is who we are. And add to that the pervasive deceptiveness of our society today, and then you have a genuine truth problem that's going on all around us. You know, even in places where we expect the truth to be told, a lot of times we have no idea if that's even true or not. And, you know, last time you, and this is, this is a huge movement that my wife and I talk about. You know, 15 years ago when you used to click on or when you used to get like things like newspapers or you used to watch the five o'clock news, they would tell you exactly what 
is happening, okay? Or the truth of what's happening. But what happens if you were to click on, go to an internet website about uh, any newspaper that you like these days? Do you actually see clear headlines that are, t that are telling you the truth? You don't. You just get all this clickbait, right? You'll never believe what happened in New Zealand today. And that's the headline or something like that. And you're like, oh, what happened? And you go and you realize, oh, some koala fell out of a tree. And that's news or something, you know? And you get so disappointed. And there's all this sensationalism, sensationalism about nothing. There was a huge story that broke out uh, maybe like two months ago about this ridiculously huge American company. And it appeared, and they had done something so significant to help out uh, struggling people in their community. And it became one of the top stories in the 5 o'clock news in America. Weeks later, we found out, or people found out, that that company paid those news outlets millions of dollars to air that story as the truth, as news. But it's not news, is it? It's like this company just paid all these news outlets for, for positive advertising. And that's all it was. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's, that's who we are. News and truth is so, so hard to come by. Truth comes by what? The guy who has the biggest wallet. He's the guy who controls the truth. Is that really true? And the thing is, but it makes sense because we are all corrupt. You know, our hearts are corrupt. We're all liars. We're all embellishers. And we're okay with that. And that's exactly what's wrong with society today. So, you know, um, vows and promises and those things exist in our society today because we believe that by making a promise, by making a verbal promise or making a verbal oath or something like that, we believe that all of a sudden what we say will become so much more truthful. And that's why we have vows today, don't we? It's because we just accept that everything else that we say in life could be a lie. But that's not the reason why God created oaths in the Old Testament. Let's look at the reason why God created oaths in the Old Testament, and you might be surprised why God created oaths. The actual answer to that comes in the New Testament, believe it or not, in Hebrews 6, 17. Let's read this together. Here he goes. This is the reason why God encouraged oaths in Scripture. Hebrews 6.17 says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. And so what did he do? He confirmed it with an oath. Why did God take an oath himself? And the answer is, he's saying so that his unchanging nature could be revealed to people. Isn't that crazy? The reason why God created oaths is so that his nature could be revealed to people. The whole point of even us as his followers for taking oaths is so that we could reveal the nature of God to others. Isn't that amazing? This is the reason why oaths were created. And so whenever we make an oath or a vow to someone, not only should what we say carry a divine significance and weight to it, but... Our intention behind it should be to reveal God to others by keeping our promises and making sure that we never break a vow. Do you guys get that? Do you guys understand that? And if we truly understand what God's saying here, then what we say, keeping our promises and not lying, all have the potential to impact people eternally in this world. What is that saying ultimately? Every word that we speak has power. Every word, every promise, every vow that we 
utter is powerful. That is why oaths were encouraged. You know, people could actually know and people could actually encounter God and the character of God through what we say. Isn't that amazing? This is what he's saying here. And so that's exactly why God created oaths. But so let's look at that now in the Old Testament law and see what God says about that as well. Here's the main verse in the Old Testament. It comes from Deuteronomy 10, 20. It says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. You know, the people of Israel were encouraged to take oaths. Why? If you read all of Deuteronomy 10, all of Deuteronomy 10, which this verse is from, all it talks about is the faithful and good character of God. That's all it's about. That's what his name, that's what, when you say, whenever you see the word his name in scripture, name encompasses the character of a person, right? So when it says to take your oaths in his name, what it's saying is we encourage you guys as the people of God to take oaths to show off the good and faithful nature of our God. That is why we are to take oaths. Therefore, our promises as followers of God are to be just as good as if God made that promise himself. Did you understand that? That was the Old Testament. That's why there's also a lot of verses in the Old Testament that speaks against making an oath and not keeping it. Let's look at three verses. Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 3.32. It says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be what? Guilty of sin. Oaths and promises and vows were always designed to reflect the character of God. And just like God never breaks a promise, so should we, the people of God, never break a promise. Our word should not only be truth, but it should be our bond. This is what he's saying. So if that's what God's intention was behind oaths, how did it get demented over time, you know, until we reach Jesus? Well, uh, this is what happened to oath-taking by the time Jesus came along. Two things happened. If I can sum it down to two things, two things happened. Number one, people started to swear frivolously. Okay, so I wouldn't call this frivolous swearing. And what that means is people started to just swear by things when they didn't need to swear by things. It was like unnecessary swearing. And instead of sharing examples from 3,000 years ago, which we won't understand, we still do this stuff today. We do it all the time, don't we? I swear I only had one coffee this morning. You know, we say stuff like that. You don't have to swear by that. I don't care if you had two coffees or, you know. But, you know, people, we say that all the time. You know, I swear. Oh, no, I swear. I didn't get up right before the live stream started. I swear. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Why do you have to say stuff like that? Cross my heart. Hope. You don't cross it. No one hopes to die. You know, I mean, nobody. Why do we say stuff like that? But we say stuff like that all the time because whenever we say stuff like, oh, I swear, I promise, cross my heart, hope to die. Whenever we say phrases like that, all we're telling people is, you want to know something? Everything I say, everything else I say in life, it's all a lie. But when I say these words, I promise or I swear or cross my heart, hope to die, I'm just qualifying this particular phrase that I'm about to say as total truth. 
whether it's really true or not. It's totally debatable because you could have had two coffees, but you told me one. And just because you said you swore doesn't mean it's true. And you could have woke up right before at 1258, 1257, I don't know what that means. We don't know, do you see? But when we say those things, we're basically telling people we lie all the time, and I know you're okay with it, but no, I swear, this particular phrase I'm about to say, it's true. So you can believe it. But we can't, can we? You know? Even then, we can't. Words. Our words become powerless and unbelievable when you start saying phrases like, I swear, I promise, cross my heart, you know, all these things. When that becomes part of your vocabulary and part of our society, words become useless and powerless. And that's exactly what was happening in the lives of the Israelites up until Jesus' time. Uh, Secondly, you know what they also started doing? They also started doing what I like to call evasive swearing. See, they knew what, what they were supposed to, you know, and they knew that when they made an oath or a promise that it was by God's name, right? It was supposed to reflect the character of God. So guess what they did? They said, you want to know something? You know, I'm not going to swear by God's name. I'm just going to swear by something less than God's name. And if I swear by something less than God's name, then I kind of don't really have to keep it because, you know, I'm not swearing by God's name. And so, you know, what they would do is they, they would end up swearing to so many weird things like buildings, and they would swear by, like, body parts, which I don't know. You know, I don't know why they would swear. But they're like, oh, I swear by my beard. I'm telling the truth. This is actually a real thing. You know, I swear by my primary school. You know, I swear by the church building or whatever it was. And so the thing is, the, the, but the, what you have to realize is, and this is what they didn't realize. I don't know why we're smarter today. Is that by saying that, I, oh, I'm not going to swear by God's name because I don't want you to hold me to it. What's the point of swearing then? What's the point of promising? We're basically telling people, I have every right to break this promise because I'm not swearing by God. And everyone should have noticed. And that's exactly what was happening in that society. You know, people were swearing intentionally by something less than God's name because they wanted to intentionally lie. They wanted to have that get-out-of-jail-free card so they didn't have to keep their promise And so by doing that, however, they were violating exactly what vows and oaths were created by God for, and that was to reflect his character. But not only that, what they didn't realize is that even if you swore by your beard or you, who grew that beard? You know, even if you swore by this particular building, who actually built that building? It was God. God was behind all of those things. So even if you swore by something, quote unquote, less than God, because God's behind those things, you're still swearing by God. So even if you swore by your beard and you didn't keep your promise, you still provide profaned the name and the character of God by not keeping your promise. Do you understand this? Did I just talk way too fast? Right? This is what was happening. And the thing is, if there was a group of people who should have known better, and if there were a group of people that should have put a stop to end or an end to all this, it should have been who? The pastors. The rabbis, right? I don't know why my voice is cracking. But the pastors and the rabbis should have put an end to all this. They should have known that people shouldn't be doing this. But you want to know something? It was the rabbis, believe it or not, who not only allowed this to happen, but encouraged this false type of oaths and vow-taking. There is even a whole section of the Jewish book of the law that delineates which vows are binding and which aren't. Which, basically, which lies you can tell and you won't get punished for, and which lies you're, you tell and you will get punished for. Isn't that amazing that they'll actually write a religious book telling you those things? But that's exactly what happened. And, what's ha- and so if you think about that and you expand that bigger, what, what they're really doing when they approve of all this is they're creating and building a society that is based upon lying. 
right? And they're saying that the practice of lies and deceit is okay for the people of God. But how is that possible? It makes no sense. Because if there's anyone who's against lies and deceit, it is God. It is lies and deceit that created and brought sin into this world. You know? As if God would approve of any deception. All this, all this did was encourage untruthfulness and deceit in every area of society. And so, if you were to make an oath in that culture, instead of actually signaling something that's more truthful, they were signaling something that was probably more deceitful. And so that's absolutely useless, isn't it, to make an oath or a promise. And this is what was happening up until Jesus' time. Do we understand that? So, if we get to our text today, verses 33 to 36, hopefully... It all makes sense if we were to read it again. Let's read this. Again, you've heard it said that it was to people long ago, do not break your oath. Fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. This is what you were supposed to do. Don't break it. Fulfill it. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Don't do it anymore, either by heaven or by God's throne, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that's the city of the great king. These are the biggest things in the world that they knew. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is basically saying, just stop. Stop all your lying. Let's put an end to all of this lying. Let's put an end to the whole system. Let's put an end to all of your deceit and your lies. Every single time you take an oath and you don't keep it, you violate the character of God. We said right here, God created oaths so that you could reflect his character and his promises and his goodness and faithfulness, but you don't do that. You propagate the exact opposite, you know, evil, right? Well, our, those who have Christ's righteousness within them are to reflect the character and the faithfulness of God through our words. But you guys have created a society where scheming, deceiving, lying are not only acceptable, but praised. And this is absolutely wicked, and this is absolutely evil in the eyes of God. Stop lying. Do you understand this? This is what Jesus is saying. You know, Jesus is saying, and what he's telling us is that our oaths and our promises carry with it the weight of God's character and fame, which means that our words as believers and followers of Christ have the power to bless other people, and they have the, they have the power to show off the goodness of God to other people. So if there's any group of people on this earth that are walking this earth that should know, be known by their truth, it's whom? It's us. It's Christians. Why? Because we represent the character of God. So there should be no deceit in our speech. There should be no guile and deception whatsoever whenever we speak. Our mouths should always speak truthfully because God is truth. Everyone should be able to bank on every word that you say because it is absolutely truthful. You guys understand? This is the calling that Jesus is giving us. And if that's the case, then we never need to, just like Jesus says in verse 34, if that's the case, then we never need to ever make a promise or an oath. Because if we say we're going to be there, we got to be there. Right? Because if God said he'll be there, he'll always be there. If we say that we're going to do something, you can count it as done. This is what he's saying. If that's the case, we never have to make an oath. We never have to make promises. Because every word that we talk about and every word that comes out of our mouth should be truth itself. Okay? This is what Christ is saying. And 
even if you were to make a promise, let's say on your wedding day, or if you were to make a vow or whatever it is to your children or you know, to your friend, you should make it with the intent that you want to know something, I'm going to keep this promise so faithfully that I'm going to show you the faithfulness of God by keeping it. That should be our intent. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys get that? This is why oaths were created. Believers are to be known by their truthfulness and by their faithfulness to their promises. And in order to, for that to be the case, the first thing that we need to do is to stop all the lying within our lives. You know, I know that sounds really easy, but it isn't. It isn't easy. Why? Because we're liars. That's just who we are. How many times this week? I can tell you. There are like three times I caught myself this week. I was telling someone a story. I was telling a story. I told someone a story at prayer meeting. I'm prayer meeting. Right? The holy place. I, told, I was telling someone like a story of what happened this week. And, and I, as I was sharing the story, like one thing was not exactly right. But nobody cares. You know? And I didn't bother correcting it. And I just thought, oh, it's okay. I don't have to like stop myself and correct it and tell the absolute truth, do I? Nobody cares. And so, you know, and I found myself doing that like two or three times this week, right? And I realized, and the thing is, I didn't mean to be deceiving. I didn't mean to tell the story inaccurately. It just came out that way, you know? It's not me, but it is me. And that's, we're, that's who we are. We're embellishers, you know? We're truth changers. We are liars. So it's not as easy as, oh, I'm going to stop lying. Okay, I'm going to stop lying. No, it's not. It's not that easy. Right? The only way to stop lying is to have a brand new heart. You know, you can't control your tongue until your heart is under the control of God. Okay? And for those who have his righteousness, he empowers us to be faithful. Matthew 12, 34 says this. And we're going to read it in the ESV. It says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Right? Which means good can only come out of good hearts. Evil can only come out of evil hearts. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? This verse says deceitful words come out of a deceitful heart, but godly words can come out of a godly heart. Right? And so what that's teaching us is ultimately lying or speaking truth is a heart issue. And that's why all of us need Christ. That's the bottom line. You know, if you have a lying tongue, won't you come and repent today? Christ is the only one that can take a life that is dedicated to deception, right? And that's what I realized even this week. It's not that I'm dedicated to deception. I'm just a deceitful guy. That's just my nature, you know? And a heart that is dedicated to deception, a life that's dedicated to deception, Christ is the only one that can take that life that's dedicated to deception and truly transform it to be so that all of our heart, all of our minds, all of our words can now begin to speak much more truthfully. Right? It's a process that will happen until we die. And the greatest part about that is now that if we have Christ's righteousness, not only can we speak more truthfully, but we can make him greater. We can speak, and I'll get to this at the end, but we can speak his words and his blessings. And if words really are that powerful and can transform and introduce people to God, we can use words in that way to do just that. And people who have his righteousness have that power now, right? Because God has a hold of our hearts. And that's why we need to depend upon him 
to do that. If you have a lying tongue, won't you come and repent today? Come and ask for a new heart. Surrender to Christ and ask him to continually change your heart now to be more like Christ tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and no one can actually become like the Father except through him. So, he's the only one that can help us stop lying. Number two, speak truthfully. Not only do we need to stop lying, but we need to speak truthfully. Verse 37 says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What Christ is saying here is very, very simple, isn't it? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let every word that comes out of your mouth be truthful. Fulfill every promise that comes out of your mouth. No exceptions. That's it. Black and white. If you're going to make a promise, keep it. If you can't keep that promise, don't make that promise. You know. But if you make the promise, keep it. Right? Your words carry the weight in the character the weight of the character of God behind them. So let your word be your bond. What does he say, though, at the end of this verse? Isn't that very interesting at the end of this verse? He's saying lies and deceit come from Satan, the evil one. John 8, 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. And what is that telling us? Every single time that we choose to lie, Every single time that we choose to deceive, instead of representing the truth of Christ, we actually mirror the evil one. Right? It's terrible. That's what it's saying. But isn't that what God already said in Leviticus 19.12? It says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. When we don't keep our promises... Or when we lie with our words, we profane the name of God. And if you combine that with what Jesus Christ is saying in verse 37, whenever we lie or whenever we deceive, we're actually propagating and we're advancing the work of the evil one. Right? It's horrific. Which means, bottom line, is we need to take what we say very seriously. Okay? That's it. Speak truthfully. Don't embellish your stories. Don't break your promises or renege on those. Don't make promises at all. At all, If you don't believe, you can keep them. Don't deceive people through your speech. Don't emphasize things that aren't there, just to make the story better. Don't misrepresent yourself and deceive others. Maybe not just with words, but maybe even with posts. Right? Don't misrepresent yourself or deceive others. These are the ways of the evil one. Believers are to speak truthfully, and we are to keep our promises. Why? Because we represent Christ, the truth. Radical righteousness calls us to speak radical truth. You guys get that? Is that good? That's our teaching for today. I have only two small suggestions on how we can do this better within our lives. Number one, spend quality time with God. Isn't that amazing? Spend quality time with God. And for that, we're going to look at Malachi 3.16, which is a very interesting verse. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. What this verse is saying is that people who truly loved God, people who truly loved spending time with God, talked about him with each other. Isn't that interesting? People who truly love God and people who truly follow after God, they talk with each other about 
God. What did they talk about? They talked about, this is what history tells us, right? They talked about his blessings. They talked about his presence in their lives. They talked about who God is and what he was saying to them. And they talked about what he had done in scripture already to each other. And they did that in order to challenge each other and to encourage each other to be more like God. Isn't that a great church? That sounds like a church I want to be a part of. Maybe that sounds like your CG. You should join a CG if, you, if you're not in one. Okay, my, it's my shameless plug. But that would be a great church. I want to be a part of that church where people are meeting with God and getting inspired by God. They're hearing what God's saying. They're starting the scriptures together. And they're actually sharing what God's doing and the way God's speaking. And they're challenging and encouraging and, and empowering each other to be more like God. God. And what happens when a church becomes like that? What does it say in the middle of this verse? It says, the Lord listened and heard. God loves being a part of churches that are like that. And in order for us to become a church that's like that, we need to be people who meet with God. We need to be people who practice the presence of God within our lives, who are meeting him, who are loving him, who are spending time with him and hearing his voice, who understand as we read the scriptures who he is and what he's about and what he wants for us and what he wants to do. And we need to be sharing that with each other, encouraging each other, challenging each other for that, so that we can become a church that moves together to do that. That's the kind of church that God loves, man. And that's the kind of church that he wants to be a part of, that he wants to speak to and listen to and hear the prayers of and answer the prayers of. But it takes us spending quality time with God. I need you, God needs you to just spend time with God and love him so you can share it, so you can have something to share, you know? And that's it. Uh, so when that happens, your heart will change. And when your heart is his, your words will reflect him. Secondly, use your words to bless others. You know, if we want our words and our promises to represent the character of God to others, use words that will build other people, that will, you know, strengthen other people, grow other people. And don't use words that will tear down other people people, especially to this non-believing world. There's a great verse in Colossians 4, 6 that says this, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Obviously, we're talking with non-believers here. So let, let it always be full of grace. What does that mean? That's to reveal the grace of Christ to non-believers, right? Your words can do that, but it makes sense because your words are supposed to reveal the character of God. Right? And let it always be seasoned with salt. We talked about salt a month and a half, two months ago, so that we can always have something to share about who God is with people. This verse is reminding us to make sure that our words reveal the character of Christ to others. Use your speech to show Christ and to make others thirsty for Christ. And we can do that when we bless people with truth and we seek to love them using our words. Cool? Radical righteousness calls us to speak radical truth. You know, in a, in a world where words and speech are expected just to be show and pretense, I really believe that many in this world are truly hungry for honesty and for integrity behind words, right? Words have become so muddled. One theologian said this. He said, the avoidance of one small lie in our lives, or one small fib in our lives, may be a stronger confession of our faith today than a whole Christian philosophy championed 
in lengthy, forceful discussion. What's it saying? It's saying that when people are convinced that you don't lie anymore in your life, when your friends and your neighbors are convinced that you never lie and that every word that comes out of your mouth speaks truth, that might be a much more powerful testimony of your conversion to Christ than if you just blasted them with every Christian theology you know of. And I think that's really true today. You know, It's sad because the Christ in Christians has become so clouded. Why? Because we just, like society, are liars. We're okay with deceit. We've accepted lying as the norm in our lives. It's one thing for the society to be. We've accepted it in our lives, and we've, we've become okay with it. And that's got to change. Jesus tells us in our passage today that Christians must recapture the essence of following the truth, and that is to be truthful. So let's get rid of all lying, and let's be speakers of radical truth in this world. Let's pray. You know, all of us were liars. We are. And every time we lie and deceive, every time we intentionally break a promise or sensationalize a story, you know, we propagate the work, we advance the work of the devil. These sins come from a heart that is corrupt. We need a new heart, and only Christ can give it to us. So I'm going to invite you today to come and repent of your sins of deceit, your sins of lying. Ask God for a new heart. Ask God to keep you or to help you live truthfully and to help you use your words to show how great and how awesome and how good and how faithful he truly is. You know, maybe before today you've never honestly have seen your sinfulness before a holy God, but for some reason today, oh, like, oh man, I am sinful. Oh, this is... Can I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ? He died upon the cross to forgive you of your sins. And that he died to replace your heart of lying and deceit with his heart of righteousness. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. So won't you surrender your life to Jesus today? If you want to do that, just talk, just talk to him now. Surrender to him right now. Let's pray. today. We need your help, God. 
because we lie and we deceive. We do all these things. I don't know. We post things on our social media because we want people to like us. We want people to think that we live an extraordinary life. We want we sensationalize our stories because we want to become more like, we want to capture people's attention. There's things that we hunger for, God, that you died for. And it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense because we're sinners. We're liars. We're deceivers. Father, our hearts are so corrupt. We're so evil. Father, we cannot change it by ourselves. Even when we change it, try to change it by ourselves, we fail because we're still so into ourselves. And that's why we need you. Only you can change our hearts. Only you can change our value system. Only you can, only your, the power of your spirit can move us, God, to want to speak truth, to want to be truthful, to stop the lying within our lives, and God, to honor you with every word that we have. It's one thing for us to know the design of words, but it's another thing, Father, for us to desire and then to go after your character and your fame and to make you great, God, through every word that we utter. But Lord, that's what we want, but we, want, we need your help to do it. So Father, help us. We need you. Help us to speak truthfully to each other. Help us, God, to love you so much that all we want to see is other people live out your truth so that we might brag about you to this world so that our words can reveal your character and your goodness to this world and people can come to know you simply by a conversation that's seasoned with truth and salt and grace. Lord, that's our desire because we know that's your desire. So, Father, do that. Make us into that church that makes you great through our words. In Jesus' name we pray.